0: Chapter 22 of The Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22 Measuring Human Influence. With careful tact did Mrs. Temple watch for just the right opportunity for checking any restiveness in the heart of her guests. She realized that, as their minds reacted from the heavy strain which had been upon them so long, the sense of dependence and poverty would assert itself, and tempt them to think of themselves as intruders. It was at the close of a lovely summer day that they sat on the piazza which commanded the finest view of the ocean, and discussed the future. Mr. Spafford himself opened the way by remarking that it must have been a very warm day in the city. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Temple, and that reminds me of something over which I have been worrying a little. You will surely not think of taking baby back to the city until summer has entirely spent itself, will you? Our first months of autumn, you know, are liable to be quite as oppressive as midsummer. Baby had such a narrow escape that, it seems to me, you should hazard a great deal in trying to return before October at the earliest. The mother's heart gave a little thrill of satisfaction over this sentence. It was so pleasant to hear the past tense used in connection with her darling's illness. Others beside herself, then, accepted the danger as past. She was joyful and grateful. But the father's mind was occupied with another problem. He was thankful for the past and foreboding for the future. He was the breadwinner of this little family and saw no way in which to win any. The rent, too, had been accumulating, he having had only promises with which to pay the last month's balance, and now another was nearly due. Every Monday morning, when Mr. Temple returned to the city, he had said cheerily, I will keep a lookout for you, Spafford, and I think there will be an opening of some sort soon. But openings in the commercial world at this date were not so numerous at least such as would support a man with a family. Young men by the dozens stood ready to absorb any opening and be content with small salaries. So Mr. Spafford's face was clouded. "'I must go back to the city as soon as I possibly can and look for work,' he said, speaking quickly. "'You forget, Mrs. Temple, that I have nothing but your unparalleled kindness to live upon.' "'I don't think that is true,' She made answer in quiet tone. You have your father's sure promise. But I don't want to trammel you. When Mr. Temple comes down again, you and he, talking it over, may decide it best to go back together and make arrangements for the future. But in regard to your wife and baby, I feel exactly like meddling. I don't think I could endure it to have my baby taken back to the city until I felt that it was safe. He is my only grandchild, you know, and I may be excused, perhaps, for being selfish over him. I think, Mr. Spafford, you should lay your commands on mother and child to stay quietly here with me, while you bear the heat and burden of the day. I shall not go to town until the very last of October, probably, and I need not try to tell you how lonely I should feel without the mother and baby.' I suppose you and Mr. Temple could keep Bachelor's Hall together, if it should seem necessary? What answer could be made to such persistent kindness? The guests looked at each other, and felt almost embarrassed by this wealth of hospitality. How were they ever to express their gratitude? Mrs. Spafford, studying for the hundredth time the whole matter, suddenly put it into a question which she had longed to ask. "'How came you to do it, Mrs. Temple? I mean, what induced you to take us in, in this unworldly fashion, and do for us, and with us, as if we were your very own?' "'You make altogether too much of it,' said Mrs. Temple, speaking lightly. "'Is it so strange a thing that a woman with a house at her disposal, and leisure on her hands, should be heartily glad of pleasant friends about her for the summer?' especially when there was a baby like our war included? Still, I know what you mean. By what line of impulse or suggestion did it first occur to me? You will doubtless be surprised, my dear friend, to learn that you were the starting point. Do you remember that first missionary meeting, downtown, that you attended, and your prayer? I remember the meeting very well, Mrs. Spafford said, her cheeks flushing, and the fact that I offered prayer, but what has that to do with this summer's experience? Much! There was that in your prayer which set me to thinking in a new channel. I had been accustomed to think of the foreign field as very widely separated from work at home, two channels, you know, each feeding the ocean of God's work for the world, but stretched apart to such a degree that those who gave their lives to feeding one channel could not do much in any way for the other. Something in your language and manner made me feel that they touched each other, joined hands indeed, that I could lay my hand on my next neighbor's shoulder and speak a word or look a feeling that could be made to reach to Africa or China. I cannot describe it very well, nor make it very clear to you, what a hold the thought took upon me but I know I looked about on those with whom I came in contact with very different eyes from that time forth. I had felt myself consecrated, time, money, and strength, to the work of foreign missions. My father died in the work abroad, and my two brothers and a sister labor there today. And in short, I lived for the other side of the world and thought it right. I still think it right, but I see fresh ways of doing it. I CAN REACH CHINA THROUGH MY NEIGHBOR THAT I MEET ON THE STREET. I AM CONSTANTLY SAYING TO MYSELF, WHO KNOWS BUT WHAT THAT LITTLE GIRL MAY DO FOR CHINA WHEN SHE GROWS INTO A WOMAN? WHO KNOWS WHAT MILLIONS THAT LITTLE FELLOW, PLAYING AT MY NEIGHBOR'S BACK DOOR, MAY GIVE FOR JAPAN OR INDIA? AM I MAKING MY MEANING PLAIN? I DON'T BELIEVE I AM, BUT IT IS PLAIN TO ME. WHEN I HEARD OF MY BLESSED LITTLE WAR'S ILLNESS, without any idea as to how I should come to love him as my very own, I instantly said to myself, how can I know but his life is to be saved through me, so that he may, in the years to come, touch all heathendom with his influence? I got that out of your own prayer, Mrs. Spafford. It came to me as it never had before, and I have enjoyed living twice as well since then." it is not that I love China less, you know, but my neighbor more. The Lord has opened fresh streams and given me a chance to help swell their current for the same great end. And her eyes were shining with tears. Just at that moment there appeared in the door Master War Spafford, in Nurse Philbrick's arms. That devoted slave of his was to leave him on the morrow, and had been enjoying a last love-scene with him in the nursery. His mother arose to take him, and, as she pressed his velvet cheek to hers, she said, her voice slightly tremulous with feeling, We will try to train this little boy that the love and wealth you have lavished on him may bring an hundredfold reward to the foreign field. After that, both parents believed that they would have been silly, as well as ungrateful, to have pressed the idea of going away, in the face of Mrs. Temple's expressed advice to the contrary. Still, the father's face was shadowed, and he was plainly growing restive. Some move he must make, or his manhood would suffer. The dignity of suffering, and the foreboding of coming sorrow that had held him prisoner, were lifted. War was able to roll in the sand, and shout at the waves, and frolic, in one way and another, during every moment of his waking hours, his cheeks were growing round and plump again, and his eyes were bright with health and the joy of living. The father felt that he must be at work. But it was two days after the talk on the piazza that he was summoned to the parlor to meet a caller. The conference was a somewhat lengthy one, but he came away from it with a bright light in his eyes and ascended the stairs, two steps at a time, in search of his wife. "'Callie, dear,' he said, going over to her, "'I shall have to go to the city without you, and before the time we had planned.' "'Why?' she asked him, not startled. His face was too bright for any news that was not pleasant. "'I think from your face, Warren, that you must have an opportunity for employment.' and indeed I think from my heart that such must be the case. My faith has been stronger all the morning. Then I can reward it with a bit of sight, he said gleefully. Callie, do you remember that carpet clerk of whom we bought our carpet? How interested he seemed in our twists and turns to save a penny, and how patient he was with us? She remembered him perfectly, the wife declared, and moreover had often thought of him, and wondered whether he had a happy home. Well, it is he who has been calling on me. He brought me great news. Mr. Temple, it seems, had heard that there was a vacancy in their house, and called in person to present my name, but there were a dozen applicants, and, but for what we are apt to term an accident, it would have done no good. Mr. Johns, the carpet clerk, was standing by and recognized my name, it seems he had been more or less interested in us ever since. His little sister met you at a missionary meeting in the city and fell in love with you, rushed up and kissed you, so he says. Do you remember her? He is a favorite in the house, has served them faithfully for a number of years, and they were disposed to listen to his advice. He had heard me mentioned favorably by our firm more than once and suggested that they send to inquire into the particulars of my leaving their employ. This was done, and Mr. Burton himself told the whole story, giving me an excellent name, John says, and admitting that he considered himself hasty in discharging me. Well, when McAllister and Hayes heard the story, they both, being members of the Sabbath committee and staunch advocates of a stricter observance of the day, Agreed in five minutes to give me the vacancy and sent Johns, who was coming down here for a two weeks vacation, to interview me this morning and tell me I might report at their establishment to morrow morning if I chose. To morrow morning repeated Mrs. Spafford with a little sinking at her heart despite the good news. Their first separation was then near at hand. Yes, it is sudden, dear but, after all, not too soon for me to go to work. An able-bodied man cannot sit down idly and let others feed him a minute longer than the providence of God seems to hold him there. You can come home in a little while, Callie. I can get all ready for you and the boy, and only think what a boy you will have to bring back. Besides, there is something else. You haven't asked me as to salary?" What do you say to a thousand a year, Robin Ruff? And the foolishly happy father sang out the refrain of the old tune, stopped in the middle of a strain by a warning shake of his wife's head and a nestling in the crib. Really, Warren? Really, Callie, with a prospect of increase if I succeed in meeting their requirements, which I can, for they have the name of being as fine a firm to work for as there is in the city." What do you think was Mrs. Spafford's second thought connected with this whole matter? She turned toward her husband, her soul shining in her eyes, her very voice radiant. Oh, Warren, then we will have a hundred dollars a year for the jewel-case. We had nothing for it this month, apparently, because you were earnestly trying to follow the Lord's own command. And now we have it almost doubled, and the influences can be traced back to the same cause. Isn't that wonderful? That reminds me, Callie, there is another point. I don't know what you will say to this. John's wants to come out and board with us. He says he must get away from the city, stuffy room he has, you know, and poor board, nothing home-like. I feel sorry for him. I told him we would consider the matter and let him know. I thought possibly you could see your way clear to giving him that extra room and perhaps use his board to pay a girl with, and so get a little leisure yourself, as much as this fellow will give you. How does it strike you at first thought? Mrs. Spafford's face clouded for a moment with a perplexed look, then cleared. I had designs on that room, she said brightly. I thought possibly we could make it do actual missionary work for us but then who knows but this may be the Lord's appointed way for us to do it. This Mr. Johns isn't even a Christian, is he? Yet how do we know but he may be worth everything to the cause some day? Perhaps Mrs. Temple is right, and each little movement of ours tells, not only for the work at home, but for the great world abroad, if only our faith reaches out and grasps them all. "'Yes, Warren, I think we will make a home for him if he wishes. "'I feel as though I would like to make homes for everybody "'and take them all in. "'As for Mr. Johns, I have had a fancy for him "'ever since he waited so patiently "'while I changed my mind a dozen times about our carpet. "'We'll buy a pretty one for his room, won't we? "'Oh, see what the mail has brought me! "'A letter from our treasurer, "'with the largest remittance for my share in the business, that I have ever had yet. That scheme is going to succeed royally, I feel it more than ever. Warren, I think I feel just a little, as David did when he said, My cup runneth over. Now, passing over the long, quiet rest, when mother and child grew strong together, when Mrs. Spafford and her hostess grew daily more closely united in Christian love and sympathy, and took sweet counsel together, I shall let you peep into the little house deserted so suddenly on that summer morning, for this is the family reunion. All day long has the neighbor, Mrs. Evans, been moving with tireless feet about the rooms, giving them a home-like air. At supper-time they were expected, and she has set the table in holiday array in the bright dining-room, and mindful of a certain supper-table which marked a new era in her home life, and has made delicate little puffs of soda-biscuit for supper, and stewed potatoes in milk and broiled a steak, and she knows perfectly well, as she surveys all the nice appointments of the table, that Mrs. Spafford herself, pattern-housekeeper though she may be, could not have improved upon the details of that meal. The expected ones have arrived, and are moving about upstairs at this moment, washing away the dust of travel. The temple carriage brought them but a half-hour ago, even as it had taken them away, but what a gay, bright, rollicking baby is returned to them in place of the wan shadow they carried away! "'I shan't know him at all,' had Mrs. Evans declared, to the satisfaction of the mother.' She shivered even yet over the recollection of the pitiful little face he carried away. "'How brown he is!' exclaimed the father, and the mother laughed and declared that it was the sunshine on the sand, that he had done nothing for six weeks but roll around in the sand and shout and crow. Oh, yes, it had been a joyous homecoming! "'We invited ourselves to supper,' explained Mrs. Evans, as she seated the lady of the house and motioned her own husband to his place. "'I knew you wouldn't be able to find things the first evening. I don't suppose I have them in the right place, but I know where they are, and that is all that is necessary at present. Tomorrow, Mrs. Spafford, your Phyllis is to come. Don't you think her name really is Phyllis? She knows how to do everything, so she says, and she looks as though she might know a good deal, especially about some things. I know I am glad she is to be your help and not mine. Mr. Evans laid down his knife and fork to laugh. My wife retains her horror of hired help in full force to this day, he said with evident satisfaction. You haven't had one around since Betty left you in the lurch that rainy morning, have you? Not for an hour, she said complacently, and I confess it would give me a little twinge of disappointment to be obliged to have one. But you are mistaken, Dane, about the horror. I have lost all the old feeling of utter helplessness that used to come over me when I used to try to find fault without knowing wherein the fault lay or how to remedy it. It is a very different sensation to remember, if your help chooses to get offended and leave just at dinner-time, That the dinner will not necessarily suffer in consequence. The trouble was, I was a slave to my ignorance until Mrs. Spafford gave me a taste of freedom. Upstairs, after the dining room had been set in orderly array, the two ladies moved about, Mrs. Evans turning down the blankets of the pretty crib and making it ready for its occupant, and the mother, as she laid the happy boy within and tucked the snowy coverings carefully turned to her friend with a sweetly solemn smile on her face as she said, My friend, I have you also to thank for this hour. Under God you saved my baby to me. I have never put into words how much I thank you for your swift, silent, thoughtful work, but God knows how I have remembered it and always shall. I have lately come to feel what is to me a somewhat new idea about it who can tell what God may let those little hands, or that baby voice, do for his glory in the turning of the nations of the earth to himself? And if he gives him great things to do, will not part of the work be yours? What wonderful rewards God may have in store for even our smallest efforts made for his sake! I understand about the cup of cold water better than I ever did before." Mrs. Evans's eyes were moist, as she answered humbly, It is but a very little commonplace thing that I could do. I was just a simple errand girl, and carried a message to those who could and did. But my motive, I think, was love for you, my friend. I can claim no blessing from the master. Ah, can you not? Inasmuch as ye did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye did it unto me." End of chapter 22